This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. 9.17am, you're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana and Xiao Ning. Let's get a quick update on the FBM KLCI. Any chance it's turned green? No, still red. It is down 0.3% to 1,459 points. All right. Well, taking a look at the broader Asia-Pacific market uh, landscape, the MSCI Asia-Pacific Index is up 2.5% on a year-to-date basis, very much supported by the strong performance of the Japanese and Korean equity market. Stripping that out, the rest of Asia has had a disappointing year as funds sought the refuge of US markets. So in contrast, the S&P 500 is up 14%, while tech-heavy Nasdaq is up close to 30% on a year-to-date basis. Albeit, this has been due to selected big technology names, otherwise known as the Magnificent Seven, holding up these indices. However, is it time to relook at Asian markets, especially if economic fundamentals improve? For some thoughts on this, we speak with Patrick Chang, Chief Investment Officer for equities at Principal Southeast Asia. Patrick, good morning. Thanks as always for joining us. Now, the third quarter appeared to be a test of patience for many investors, with many anticipating China's robust economic recovery, the U.S. Fed's hiking cycle coming to an end, and a drop in global inflation to more acceptable levels. Yet they were left somewhat disappointed. Could you provide us with an overview of how the market has performed so far this quarter? I think the only bright spot that I could see up until the end of October from uh, the, the beginning of July was uh, surprise, surprise, Malaysia, right? In dollar terms, Malaysia was up by about 4%. And the rest of the market, if I look at my screen now, S&P was down about 6 Asia, Japan about 7 and ASEAN was down about 55 right? And Nikkei was down almost down to 10%. And largely because of a couple of factors, right? One of which the dollar strength has been haunting us, uh, and uh, the other point is that, uh, as you rightly pointed out, the Fed has been a bit more, still more hawkish, but that tone itself is starting to moderate a little bit. Uh, but the reality is that uh, the long end of the curve in terms of uh, 10-year bond yields have risen quite substantially, right? So you've seen some reverberations or what we call the reset in terms of uh, what we call the risk-free rate uh, in developed markets, right? And that basically resets uh, risk premiums or for risk assets, particularly for equities itself, right? So I suppose uh, 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 this is where we are today. Uh, whether this will continue the remains of a debate, uh, but we are the camp that I think, uh, you know, I think the Fed is probably going to pause at some point now. Let's delve deeper into what investors are keeping their eye on. So the Fed held rates unchanged for the second time at the recent FOMC meeting and suggested that they will still maintain a data-dependent approach. So the question I have is, Patrick, is the end of the hiking cycle over and when can we actually see a rate cut? Our belief is that I think the Fed uh, is probably done tightening, uh, largely because if you look at some of the data that we look at, at the labor market and and non-farm payrolls and so forth, I think it's starting to uh, cool off a little bit. Um, and I do think that anecdotally as well, uh, if you see all the corporate commentaries that's coming out, a lot more job cuts are happening. And so I think these are functions of the fact that uh, high rates being where they are is starting to eat into the economy. Uh, and therefore, at some point uh, in 2024, um, you know, as we speak, the markets are already starting to price in a rate cut by June. But you know the markets, right? The markets are always forward-looking and it's always trying to look ahead. Uh, but if I look at a dot plot by the Fed itself, um, I don't see any signs of the Fed 
uh, wavering from uh, higher for longer kind of rhetoric. I'll be bluffing you to tell you that if I have any rare, you know, views on whether they're going to cut because we have been wrong for the large part of 2023, but I do think that uh, it's, it's really dependent on how the data will come out. You know, at the moment, um, the market is anticipating a June cut, but uh, honestly speaking, on a personal level, I think it'll we'll probably be an environment where we're going to have the long end of the curve being higher for longer. Shifting our attention to the Asia-Pacific region, although the market hasn't seen significant improvement, there are emerging signs of economic stability in China, as indicated by recent macro data. Do you foresee any potential improvements in the near future that could generate optimism? Yes, I think China, uh, if you X out the latest PMI numbers in October, which were quite weak, um, Earning, uh, sorry, there has been some surprise on economic data, whether you look at GDP, retail sales, industrial production, and so forth, right? Um, of late, we started to hear uh, the government trying to talk up the uh, fiscal budget deficit from 3 to 3.8%, issuance of about 1 trillion uh, central government bonds. I think all of this, to me, is starting to suggest that the Chinese government is taking action instead of just talking. And I do believe that I think this will cons- uh, will be setting up itself for what we call stability. Now, I use the word stability with a, a pinch of salt as well, because ultimately you've seen what's happened in China. There's a lot of fragility out there. But I think between now and maybe the first quarter of 2024, our view is that uh, we should be able to see, or we're hoping to see some transparency from the government in terms of policy and also some stability, particularly in the property market, as well as consumer confidence as well. Meanwhile, Patrick, ASEAN has underperformed, primarily due to this shift in the interest rate narrative and the strength of the king dollar. Do you think these factors will have long-lasting implications? And are we going to see a return of inflow into this region? Yeah, ASEAN has uh, corrected quite substantially, right? Vietnam has corrected quite substantially from 20% down to almost flat for in, in, uh, sorry, in Vietnam long terms. Indonesian rupiah uh, had a very tumultuous uh, October and, and also Thailand as well, right? I think there's a lot of value out there in ASEAN today. Uh, and, you know, we're not wavering from our view that uh, ASEAN continues to be a land of opportunities. Uh, in fact, uh, the China plus one story continues to be even more stronger than before. Uh, and I do think that if you're a long-term investor like ourselves, uh, you want to take advantage of this opportunity out there. For Malaysia, this Madani government has tabled an expansionary budget alongside several growth policies, notably the National Energy Transition Roadmap and the new Industrial Master Plan 2030. Are these policies sufficient to drive sustainable foreign inflow? And with that, what opportunities can we anticipate from a sector perspective? Honestly speaking, I don't think all of these policies are going to attract foreign flows in the immediate term. What foreign investors need to see, obviously, is the execution of all these grand plans. That's number one. Number two, we've had about close to, if I'm not mistaken, about um, six billion or five and a half billion US dollars of outflows last month in October. This reversal cannot come in so immediately with the kind of macro environment that we have. But I do anticipate that there are going to be, I think Malaysian market will continue to be a mid-cap, small-cap space market. Stock picking is key. Uh, we've said that many times. And I think that if you want exposure in Malaysia, I think the small-cap space is where something that you want to think about. So considering the volatile markets, what is principles, tactical, strategic asset allocation? I mean, in previous conversations, you advocated being patient and diversifying between income and quality growth. Is there any adjustment to your view? 
Uh, no, I, we still believe that uh, in an environment where yields continue to be very high where we are, particularly in developed markets as well as in Malaysia, uh, you want to continue to have uh, um, a portfolio yield in your in your portfolios, meaning to say fixed income is the key in terms of your portfolios. And secondly, if you are more growth oriented, I think the opportunities, as I mentioned, in ASEAN, in Malaysian small caps. And if you really believe that China is going to rebound in the short term, I think that could be a trade as well. Patrick, thanks as always for the chat. That was Patrick Chang, Chief Investment Officer for Equities at Principal Southeast Asia. This market outlook is brought to you by Principal Malaysia. So I think we have some time shouting to take a look at the earnings reports that have crossed our table this morning. Let's start off with glove maker Harta Lega. They returned to the black with a net profit of 27.7 million ringgit for the second quarter ended September after registering three consecutive quarters of losses. Earlier for the first quarter of financial year 2024, Harta Lega posted a net loss of 52.5 million ringgit. Revenue for the quarter came in at 452.1 million ringgit, and this was an improvement of 3% from the preceding quarter. Okay, so the good news is that the numbers were actually above expectations. And in terms of guidance, management is still saying that average selling prices likely to trend downwards in the upcoming quarters due to stiff competition. However, due to a lower price gap offered by Chinese counterparts, Sales volume, however, is expected to improve. Their Bistarijaya facilities decommissioning is slated for completion by the middle of January 2024. So you might see some revisions, uh, some reversal of some of the provisions related to this. Now, in terms of Hata Lega's focus, it's really just going to be about driving sales volume at this moment rather than actually maintaining profit margins. Mm. They are still pursuing cost savings and efficiency gains. Uh, so it will help them defend their operating margins. If Hata Lega is unable to pass on the higher raw material costs onto clients, which at this time, because there's a lot of supply in the market, is going to be a bit challenging. Now, despite all this, actually, I think because the market is expecting things to turn around, that the worst is over, the stock is actually up 40% on the year-to-date basis. Five buys, five holes, 10 sells. Consensus target price, 2 ringgit and 6 cents. Last time price, up 6 cents to 2 ringgit and 39 cents. Maybe very quickly, we can just take a look at FNN because they also gave stellar earnings. Yeah, Their net profit increased 40% to 536.9 million ringgit for the financial year ended September. And this was attributed to festive sales and out-of-home consumption, along with contributions from snack and candy maker Coco Land. Yeah, and they gave a 17 cents special dividend, six buys, one whole consensus target price, 30 ringgit and 87 cents. Last time price up 68 cents to 26 ringgit and 50 cents. All right, it's 9.28 a.m. We're heading into the 9.30 a.m. News Bulletin. After the News Bulletin on The Property Show, Keith Kam speaks to author Dr. T. Selva about Vastu Shastra, the traditional Indian system of architecture. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.